Greetings. In the name of the everlasting light. Are you alive today? Are you eternally alive today? Are you connected to the everlasting life? Appreciated the message this morning and know it's a they're bittersweet because some some of uh, like Tristan and Mary are leaving, but we're rejoicing that they are leaving for the cause they are going for. There's a third person who's leaving this morning, and we're rejoicing for that reason too. The Joshua Glenn note is last Sunday here, so. Um, he who findeth a wife findeth a good thing. <laughs> so we can rejoice in that too. Yeah, I feel in many ways like um, Matt has had the uh, good beginning foundation, the part that I won't have this morning. Appreciate that. And I uh, will be talking about the seven member committee this morning, and I'll explain the title later. We all like committees, right? Seven-member committee. Why don't we, if you can, just rise for a word of prayer before we go into the message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the everlasting light. And Lord, as we have prayed, that you would shine on us today. Lord, as we are here, we are in many different states of mind and being, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, Lord. We ask you, Lord, as the everlasting light, to shine on each one of us today. Take your word. Illuminate our hearts. Cause us, Lord, to shine also in response to your word. Open up our hearts at the, that the birth, which is from above, may shine and renew us. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for what you have done, and we thank you for what you're going to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> We have arrived at the last of the seven character qualities that Peter set out as essentials for every person who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Every person who is born again, in the way Matt explained it this morning, there are some divinely set essentials that they need to walk through, in, and on with. You know, that's for every one of us. Uh, I just thought, what Matt said, what he said, that the, the doctor, the lawyer, and he got down to the truck driver and the janitor, and you have um, everyone who's been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and has been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. That's another way to explain it too, the new birth. Every nation, every tongue, every kindred, it means fathers, it means elders, it means mothers, deacons, school teachers, missionaries, everybody, these Seven character qualities are for everyone, none exempt. We are called to aggressively and persistently add to our faith these qualities. You know, the number seven has an eminent place in Scripture, and it's associated with completeness or perfection. 
I don't know if that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind when he used the seven qualities there in Second Peter. We'll get there. Some of you our visitors don't know what we're talking about yet. We'll get there. I don't know what the, the Holy Spirit had in mind when he gave seven qualities there in Second Peter, but it does fit the idea of completeness and perfection. Just think of the original seven-day week of creation. There was a beginning, and then each successive day built on it until you got to the seventh day, which was the day of perfection and rest. And so for us, there is a beginning, right? Like every baby, there is a beginning. In the beginning, God created me. Well, I was born again in the beginning. I was without form. I was void. Our darkness was upon the face of the deep, and then the light of God shone upon my soul. After God brooded over the face of the deep, He said to me, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and I saw that the light was good. That first heaven set sent light to my soul was so precious. After, for me, in my case, it was 12 years of guilt and shame. Then there was light. And what can be better than light? We might think, if you got light, you got it all. Well, in one essence, you do. But God, as usual, has a plan. He sees an end product, a finished creation, one that we can even imagine at the beginning. And so, add to your light, add to your faith, and on we go. And that's what we've been doing in Second Peter. It's a journey that was laid out, as we, uh, in the message before. See, light is good. Light is essential. Without light, there is nothing else. But light is not the full end product. Just like original faith. Seven days of creation. At the end of those seven days, there was still light. But there was also dry land. There was trees. There was fish. There was stars and planets. There were moons and there were people. Well, two. There was still light, but it was so much more. At the end of that week. So for us. Everything is dependent on God. And our faith in him. But God has more in mind. Than that original new birth. And the original faith in Jesus for salvation. That faith is an essential beginning. And it is an essential Part of salvation the whole way through till we get to glory. But the faith must be filled in with these seven characteristics if it is to be prosperous and fruitful. This morning I'm going to do a little bit different style of preaching, teaching, rather. I think variety is good. I want to have a little bit more interaction um, if I forget, maybe it won't be as much as I think. But I'd like to have some feedback this morning, a little more than normal. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these number uh, number of verses, and I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through it as I've in my Bible study, and I'm going to ask myself questions, and I'm going to ask you questions as we go through. And we're going to do the Bible study together. And... Um, it was a little bit like 
oh, yeah, 12 years ago, 14 years ago probably by now, one night we went to the emergency room at Good Sam, Good Samaritan Hospital, with a child who was sick, throwing up, bellyache. I think Tristan can relate to this. And we brought him in, and there was Dr. Hinkle. Some of you know Dr. Hinkle. He's a Christian homeschooling doctor. And I sat beside Dr. Hinkle as he out loudly talked what might be going on with our child. And I, he gave me his thought processes. And I, for the first time, realized doctors are human too. They've got to figure things out just like the rest of us. Sometimes we think they study for so many years, you, have, you bring something in, oh yeah, that's what it is. Well, I had a doctor like that one time, but that was not a good doctor. So I sat beside that doctor as he went through the processes, and what he originally thought was the problem was not what he ended up thinking being the problem, and he treated him for something else. It was not appendicitis that time. It was something else. And so are we. Each case is unique. Each scripture is unique. So this morning, as we go through the scriptures, I'll, I'll have you walk with me through the scriptures as we uh, study it. Try to understand the original intent and finally what it means for us today. So you can turn to Second Peter and we will read the familiar passage. Second Peter, we'll start at uh, chapter one. We'll start at verse five this morning. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we get into the major topic, I feel I need to pull a few loose ends together from the prior message for some of you. Last, last message, I went through uh, the virtue of brotherly kindness, or Philadelphia. And I did some contrast of that word, Philadelphia, which means phileo love, and charity, which means agape love. But I didn't actually uh, finish it very good, uh, very well, so I'd just like to have a little bit of a breather there. Uh, there was some contrast. Phileo love is more emotional and tender and affectionate. When, when uh, Peter says we should have uh, brotherly kindness, he's talking about that phileo love, that affection, that endearing kind of love for each other. That's what he's talking about. But in real life, as we know, our emotions are not always as holy and good and pure. I think someone said this morning that we go at it the wrong way sometimes. Did you say that? Now, somebody did. Instead of starting your emotion, we should end there. (laughs) Do the right thing, follow through, and your emotions will well that's that's how it is. Our emotions aren't always always there, so sometimes we do not have that feeling of affection and emotion. We have only partial control of our emotions. We do have some control, but not completely. We can't always make ourselves feel like we want to feel. 
And so, sometimes, for everyone, and always for some people, we will not feel filial affection towards them. So add to your brotherly kindness charity, which is the agape love, which has more to do with the will. It's more of a choice. Charity has more to do with a choice. It's a choice to love. Many times it is a choice in the absence of anything lovable in the object of love. It is love in spite of the condition or the actions of the other person. And it had to be that kind of love that was read this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the agape love. There wasn't much in us to love. Um, We were a mess. Mankind was ignoring his creator, going his own way, acting selfishly, treating each other horribly. It's hard to love someone who ignores you or who snubs you or thinks he knows better than you do even as he is destroying himself. It's hard to love a person like that. But that is what God does and that's what God calls us to do. He says to add that to our faith. Many times, in spite of the lovableness of the object. You know, I forgot to bring that chart along that I had the other weeks. But uh, the way top, that charity is the crowning attribute of the Christian. It's a willful, purposeful, choiceful heart. To agape love others. That's the height of Christian character. Now you can't do that without the whole list below it. But that is the height. Love everyone, even your enemies. Those who will willfully harm you. Those who may you may find it difficult or even impossible to have feelings of love for. Choose to love them and show it by doing them good. And do it in faith, like everything else in faith. And that brings us to the brink of our study this morning. That is in verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, and we'll stop right there. I want you to think with me. For, that word for connects it to the prior. And it introduces us to a condition. For if. If the hurricane continues in its projected track, it would do a tremendous amount of devastation to Florida. If. It does. If it goes another direction, it will spare Florida. I think I think it made landfall already, so that's not really applicable this morning. But you get the point. That little word, if, is not a little word. I remember Denny Keniston talking about that big word, if, and years ago. And he used this message, uh, this verses. And um, the very familiar verses in, in Colossians. Colossians 1, chapter, tw- uh, chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. And he says, And you, talk about us, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, me, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now there is no better, no better standing ground anywhere on the face of this whole universe than that stand right there. You can stand before God. How? You're holy, you're unblameable, 
and you are unreprovable. There's nothing there. At any place in this whole universe that you want to stand, this is where I want to stand. But then comes that word if. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And that word if will make all the difference. It's a conditional word. For if these things be in you and abound. Now I'm going to ask you, these things, what things are we talking about? If these things be in you, what things? Any? Just want to see you're with me. What things are we talking about? And uh, just to make sure we're understanding, which just give me one one example. Temperance, patience. Okay. okay, that's right. Okay, so as I'm reading this, for if these things, and I thought these things, what? Are we, oh yeah, these things. This is what we're talking about. What did you have in mind? Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. Godliness, if these things be in you. Now, if they be in you, what does that mean? Does it mean I need to know what the words mean? If I know what the words mean, are they in me? And my head's nodding no. Does it mean when I'm able to explain to someone else, maybe an unbeliever, maybe I can witness to a believer and tell him what it means, that that means it's in me? What do you think? <laughs> no, that's not it either. That's not quite reaching it, is it? Well, what do you think? What does it mean if these things be in you? Do you have any ideas? In our heart, and we're applying them in our life. Good. Anyone want to add to that? Again, applying is important. We can't say, I have this characteristic and nobody can tell it. And nobody can I'm tell hiding, it. I'm hiding in my gracious. <laughs> I'm a really gracious person. That was kind of, that okay. Well, it could be true, right? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Be in you means you are experiencing it. And if you're experiencing it, you are. It's like the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. It's like a children's lesson that I saw one time, I think, where a person... Maybe it, maybe it was done here. I don't remember where it was. But uh, someone, uh, one of the teachers got up and he had honey. And he described honey to the children. Its sweetness, its texture, where it comes from. And you can do all the things you want about honey. But you don't know what honey tastes like until you taste it. That's what it means to be in you. If these things... Be in you. You are actually, it's actually, you actually are um, experiencing these character qualities. The same with dying. You know, we, we know people who have died. And we all know that we're going to die. But I cannot tell you what it's like to die. Because I have not experienced it. So there's a gap of experiential knowledge there, which I can say this morning is everybody alive. I guess that's probably a good gap for me and for you. But someday we will experience that. You and I have 
actually, for real, added to our faith, virtue, and knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and etc. That's what it means for it to be in you. And if these things be in you, and now we come to the next phrase, and abound. Now, what does that mean in this Bible study? What does abound mean? Anybody want to add to that? If you get tired of this, just say, just go and preach, you know. (laughs) No bounds. That's, ah, go ahead. Not something that you see just once in a while. Once in a while, okay. We will look at the Greek meaning of this word. It means to do more, make more, or be more. To increase. That's what the Greek word is. So that's quite straightforward. And it's actually significant. I can say, oh, I remember I had brotherly love one time. (laughs) I experienced it. One time I had patience. One time. I remember. I twice. So, it's in me, right? Well, not so fast. Here comes that continual if. If these things be in you, if you are experiencing them, and if they are increasing, if they are growing, if brotherly love in you is increasing, is in you and increasing, Only then, and only then, can we move on to the next step, which is a promise and a blessing. As I was typing this out, I I made a typo as an error. Instead of brotherly love, I typed out fatherly love. That changes it a little bit, doesn't it? My brother is a bother, but I can love him. Maybe we're abounding in that. Okay, let's assume that that's true. These things are in us, and they are increasing. Then comes, they make you, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First word, they. What is the they? What is meant by they? Well, it's these things. But it's interesting, there's a shift in scripture here. Instead of saying these things, it says they. It actually personifies them. Now these things become personal. That's where I get my name, uh, the seven, what was my title? The seven committee members? It's a, the Committee of Seven, that's right, Committee of Seven. But these have come personified. They take on a personal characteristics, and to personify means to represent a thing or an abstraction in the form of a person. There's a term with me to, uh, to Proverbs 9 where God does that. In, in another area of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses there. Wisdom. Wisdom hath builded her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast. She hath mingled her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has set forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, 
Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Wisdom is an abstract quality. You can't put your finger on wisdom and say that that there is wisdom. You can't do that. It's an abstraction. A person may have wisdom, but wisdom is not a person. But as a teaching aid, God personifies wisdom and says, "This is if, if wisdom were a person, this is what it would do. And it's interesting. Uh, Peter does the same thing with these seven qualities right here when he calls them a day. And it's in- interesting that pillar uh, wisdom has seven pillars in this chapter. Now, is that the same as these seven characteristics? Uh, I don't know. But comparing scripture with scripture, these seven pillars in Proverbs could be the seven virtues in Peter. Anyway, these seven qualities become a group, an assembly of persons, which is where I get the title, the committee of seven. Well, what does this committee do? This committee does something. It says they make you. Now, as I was studying this, I was very much intrigued at what I found. There, uh, this word, make you, is translated several different English words. Uh, it is three common words. It is ordain, appoint, or make ruler. When Paul told Titus to ordain elders in every city, it's the same word, make you. When the early church needed more personnel because people were falling through the cracks there in Acts 6, they said, look out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint to this business. It's that word. And that's really, really interesting. If these seven virtues are in you and increasing, they're going to come to you. These seven virtues are now personified and they are going to actually ordain you. So I can read it this way. For if these things be in you and abound, they ordain you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. You know, an ordination has always something in mind. Uh, the discussion today is sometimes to question whether an elder or a deacon is ordained to an office or whether he's ordained to a work. That's an argument. That's a discussion. That's a. I'm not going to get into that one this morning. But the point is, when someone is appointed or ordained, it is always with some purpose in mind. In this verse that you've been following, what does this committee of seven appoint us to? What is the ordination for? It's to not be barren nor unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First is the barren or unfruitfulness. Now, I like to think when I go through it now, Peter did that in the negative. Why did he say not be barren nor unfruitful? Why did he say it in the negative? Why didn't he say it in the positive? If you were a modern preacher, you would be told to stay away from negative. And right now, we could get into an hour-long discussion of the errors of the modern positive mental Attitude, preaching. People like, I'm going to use some name, Norman Vincent Peale, who perfectly blended the secular interpretation of positive mental attitude, which is from Dale Carnegie, with a religious accent to highlight peace of mind for middle class Americans who had health and money, but suffered from materialism's emptiness of spirit.
positive thinking became the psychological therapy. So, if we're a modern preacher, we wouldn't go in the negative. But here we have a negative. And I'm not actually quite sure why. (laughs) It's just in the negative. But this committee of seven ordains us to avoid barrenness or unfruitfulness. Well, maybe you have ideas. Why do you think he was in the negative instead of the positive? Anybody have any thoughts on that in our Bible study? Yes. It's our default condition. Good. Very good. Actually, that word ordain, or the word make you, which means ordain or appoint, in some of the other translations it says keep you (laughs) from that. That's right. Good. Okay, barren. Who wishes to be barren? Imagine a lush, fruitful garden. And then imagine a barren landscape and the difference. Actually, to be barren means to be inactive or unemployed or by implication, lazy and useless. (laughs) And um, if you remember the story, I'm going to try to... compress this a little bit. The story about the man, the householder who went out to hire laborers for his vineyard and he went out in the morning and got some people and said, I'll pay you whatever's due. Then he went out in mid-morning and he found some idol in the marketplace. And he said, well, why stand you here idle? He said, well, no one's employed us. That word idle is the same word barren. They were idle. And uh, the whole way to the 11th hour, he found some standing idle. If this committee of seven ordains you, you're not going to be, you will be, I'm going to put it in a positive, you will be employed. You will have work. You will be busy. You will be active. You will not be idle. And as a result, you will be fulfilled. You will have purpose. You will have the peace and the prosperity that the gospel, the prosperity gospel preachers, preachers are offering you. Only they offer it as a shortcut. Just believe in yourself. You are good. Get your self-esteem up. You are brilliant. Act like if it's true. That's what they preach. But by this committee of seven, you will also have that. But you will have it God's way. You will have it by the way of the cross. You will have it by dying to yourself. You will have it by obedience, by sacrifice, by humility. You will have it, but you will have it God's way. And you will have it, as Mark says, with persecutions, with trouble. Mark also says... In Mark 10:31, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. And the reason I brought that up is because there are two ways to get to this kind of employment and peace and so on. And God's way is the, the last first and the first last because the way up is to go down. The way forward, well, not to go backwards, that's not right. <laughs> Let's go God's way and not Joel Olstein's way. You will not be barren. You will be not be idle. Nor will you be unfruitful. Now the word unfruitful, if you look it up in the Greek, it means barren. <laughs> A wife who has no children is barren. 
that's a difficult place to be. But this committee of seven will appoint you that you will not be barren. There's another word, uh, Matthew 13, another place where that word is used. Matthew 13:22, as you're talking about the, the seed that was sown in the different kinds of hearts, and that verse says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he become unfruitful. And it appears to me like this person added other things to his faith rather than the committee of seven to his faith. Is what it appears like to me. And when the committee of seven is missing, when they are not in you and when they are not increasing, but other things are in you, in this case the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches is increasing. The cares of the world are increasing. Then unfruitfulness is the result. And that's not good to be fruitful in the temporal thing, but unfruitfulness in the eternal kingdom of God. That's a bad trade-off. That's a very bad trade-off. They make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be fruitful in the experiential knowledge of our Lord. And uh, there is a quote from a preacher that I will leave unnamed, and it comes back from the early 80s. You can ask me personally if you want to, but uh, experiential knowledge of our Lord. If we knew a fraction of the future God is making for us, if we could begin to feel that all of our deepest longings will be satisfied, that every beauty of this world will be preserved and heightened, that every good affection will, be, will soar, that every proper relationship will be restored forever, that all pain and frustration and ugliness will vanish, that the fish will bite before the worm hits the water, and that Jesus will fill the world with golden light. If we could believe what no eye has seen or ear heard or the heart of man conceived and what God has prepared for those who love him, our hearts would be freed from the greed and the fear that cause us to sin. We would escape from the corruption that is in this world and become partakers of that divine nature. And we would grow in that experiential knowledge of our Lord. You know, as you're studying this, as you're studying this, I thought I had it in my notes, but I don't find it anywhere. Paul, uh, Paul, Peter uses Two descriptions in many of the things. Maybe I can find it because it was pretty interesting. Um, well, I, let me just go. I, I think I have most of it in my head here. It's interesting as uh, Peter goes through here in this study, how he uses double adjectives very many places. Uh, chapter uh, chapter 1 of Second Peter, verse 3. According to his divine power, hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's a double. See that? Through the knowledge of him that has called us unto glory and virtue. A double. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Great. And precious. And, um, and in verse 8, you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And um, 
verse 10. Give Dylan to make your calling and election sure. You notice the doubleness of a lot of these places. It's like Peter wants to expand our understanding of what he's trying to teach. Because you just say one thing, but you say another thing. And of course, if you say three, you have three-dimensional. That's even better yet, I suppose. Actually, I found it here in my notes here, so maybe. <laughs> so, so anyhow, we will uh, be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, in our experiential knowledge, in our recognition both of what Christ has done for us and experience of what he wants to do in us um, the plan for our future, the, um, the grace that is available to us, all those things that we have in Christ, we will grow in that knowledge. We will not be barren nor unfruitful in that knowledge. We will grow in our relationship with God. That's basically what it means. And verse 9, but, and here's the contrast, but, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. But he that lacketh these things, he to whom these things are not present or they're not increasing, they're lacking these things. He that is lacking these things, for this person there is no ordination. Well, maybe there is, but not for that. It, in our circles, ordination to the ministry is taken quite seriously. So much so that sometimes a person almost dreads an ordination because of the, the expectation and the responsibility that is put on an ordination. But here is an ordination. Here is an appointment that you really do want. You can't go without it. If you or if I go without the seven-member committee ordination, we will be blind. We will be nearsighted and we will be forgetful. What's going on here anyhow? And this is where I was going to act in my notes as I, why did you use so many descriptions so often? It's all over his letter. Then I had gone over how he gives those doubles. And in this case, he gives a triple. So, if you are blind, and the word does mean blind, why does he also say that you also be nearsighted? <laughs> What's what's going on here? You can't see afar off. You have any thoughts? Why does it say you're going to be blind and you can't see afar off? Well, if you're blind, can you see far off? Does anybody want to have any ideas what's going on here? Okay, we'll move ahead. Okay, a short, how was that again, the first part? You can only see a short way. But being blind isn't a good thing here. So we are actually trying to avoid being blind. And so, um, anyhow, not quite sure. Blind means blind. It means simply the blind man in, in uh, John 9. He was blind. So you will be blind. Now, and not be able to see afar off. That's an interesting word. It's actually only used once. It's a compound word. And it, it comes from the word see, and then the word mysterion. Is anybody familiar with that Greek word, mysterion? I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. 
Mustarian, I think is what it's called. Anyhow. Anybody want to give a guess what that word means? Okay. Well, let's see what the word see means. The first time that word is used in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's that word, the compound word, part of the not being able to see afar, nearsighted. Shall see is part of that word. So here we have someone who is seeing God. That sounds good. That is good. The pure in heart, those in that condition of heart will see God. The other part of that word, and musterian, is actually translated mystery. When it talks about Paul was given to talk about the mysteries that weren't revealed before, but are now revealed, it's talking about a mystery. And what I get from that is what this word means, not being able to see afar off, is if I lack in these things, instead of growing in the knowledge of God, instead of that, instead of growing in the true gospel way, God will remain or he will become a mystery to me. I won't be able to see God. I won't be able to understand God. The true God will be a mystery. And that will make me, as a Christian, vulnerable. I will be exposed to dangers. Because I'm still in this world, but I can't see well. I can't see far. I can't see where the path I am on is going to take me. And right here is where Paul, uh, Peter's, rest of Peter's letter becomes relevant. Remember what Peter's main burden for writing this letter? There are false teachers coming. They're going to pronounce some really good sounding things. Peter knew that. The false teachers were already coming and they were already making devastating inroads into Florida. (laughs) But it's going to get worse. That's what he saw. They're already here. The effects are here already. But it's going to get worse. And he's telling the Christians of his day, if you lack these things, you will be short-sighted. And as such, you will accept things that you never should. You will, if you could see the end, you would never accept those things. In fact, the biblical definition of blindness, not a biblical, a biblical definition of blindness is, is this sort of this, um, can't think of the right word, saying, they can't see the end in the trend. That's the definition of short-sightedness, this here. Can't see the end of the trend. You can't see the trajectory. And so, instead of being able to see God and growing, you're actually doing the opposite. Because he's talking to Christians here. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What are your old sins? No, don't tell me. (laughs) Do you have old sins? You know, one of the things that Leonard does in the interviews is he he asks everybody, do you have some skeletons in your closet? (laughs) He's talking about anything that you haven't gone back. But we all have old sins. We have the sins of our youth, the Bible calls. It's the sin that you repented of. It's the sin that you forsook voluntarily and joyfully when you came to the Lord originally. And even as you were going along. They are your old sins. And when, and when you, when you repented of your sins and you came in faith to the Lord Jesus and believed on Him, 
those sins were purged. Now, that purge means they were both cleaned away from your account, and you also got a heart that was cleansed. You got both. And that's beautiful. It's powerful. It's a wonderful experience. The grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God, the cleansing of God. But for those who do not add to their faith, end up losing the very faith they had in the first place. And they forget. And they lose out. And they fall. And they fail. And that is a tragedy. What should we do about that? Well, that goes right into the next verse. Wherefore, because that is true and that warning, you know, a warning is the opposite of a promise. A promise is a positive thing. A warning is a negative thing. But a warning is a promise. And a promise can be a warning. It can go both ways. But we just got a warning. Wherefore, because of that, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. The rather, brethren, means simply instead of that, do this. Instead of not adding, give diligence. And there's that same word that we looked at before in chapter, in verse 5. This diligence, remember what that word, that sweaty word? That word that basically means do it at all cost. If you get to a roadblock, figure a way around it. If, if you have an obstacle, find a way To solve the problem, give all diligence means you do not give up. You do not accept the no. You do not accept anything else. You do all diligence. You get the thing done. That's what that word means. Accept nothing else. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. What is your calling and election? There's a double word again. Your calling. When you get a wedding invitation, you get a calling. A calling is basically an invitation. Okay. How do you make sure of that invitation? Well, you respond to it, say that you will come, and then you get up that morning and you go. That's how you make that calling and election sure. There's no other way. You respond by saying that you plan to attend, and then you respond in the expected manner. Your calling and your election. Now we have a controversial word. Are you one of the elect? If you were invited, you were elected. Elected means simply chosen. So here is a couple. We have so many young couples getting married now. So we have this couple, and they are going to choose who they will invite. (laughs) And Peter uses those two words to broaden the concept. You were chosen, and you were invited. But if you were chosen and invited... Is it a given that you will attend that wedding? Okay, Josh. Everybody that you chose and everybody that you invited, will they all come to your wedding? No. You hope not. God is not like you. Okay. God's plan is that everybody comes, although we know that, that it won't be that way. It's not a given if you were chosen and invited that you will actually attend. But God says, be all diligent. If you listen, then make sure it happens. Respond to the invitation and follow through by going. You know, 
at the beginning of the letter, we talked about those exceeding great and precious promises. You know, I just looking, I, I look at this language and I try to think through why did Peter use this? He used this exceeding great and precious. It seems like he's almost running out of words to describe what he would like to communicate. Exceeding and great and precious. Well, we're going to come to one of those promises in the next verse. So, oh no, not the next verse, this verse yet. For if you do these things, now we're back to the thing. We left the committee behind now. We're back to the things. You shall never fall. Now that is an exceeding great and precious promise. It's a conditional one, but it is a promise. If you do these things, you will never fall. You will never become blind. You will never become nearsighted. You will never become forgetful. You will never be barren nor unfruitful. You will never be deceived by a false libertine teacher or preacher. You will never fall back to the wallowing in the mire. You will never go back, the Bible word, to your old vomit. You will never fall. That's a promise. That's a promise we can hang on and hold on to. What will you do instead? You will grow. You will be employed by God. You will have purpose. You will be useful. And everything goes on and on. And you know it goes on. The promise goes on in the next verse. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God will give you a grand entrance. It's going to be good. I'm going to, this is probably a story most of you have already heard, but I'd like to read it again. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for many years, and they were returning home to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. And then they discovered they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid much attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years and had no one care a thing about us? Here comes this man back from a hunting trip and everyone makes, such, makes much over him, but no one gives two hoots about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was ready to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, well, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell it to the Lord? A short time later, he came out from the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. And his wife asked, dear, what happened? And you know what happened? The father simply said, you're not home yet. You know, that was a missionary couple. Whether you are in Africa or whether you are faithful here or you are faithful in York or whether you are faithful as a mother or you are faithful as a whatever, faithfulness to the Lord, there will be a grand welcome into that everlasting kingdom. True for all God's faithful, not only those who are returning foreign missionaries, although those often have given the most. 
And I'll just read these verse, verses over again in closing. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the eternal word of God that is given to us. May God bless you.